supernatural character that the Spirit of God produces in believers. And today our pastor John is preaching on goodness. That's today's theme, goodness. Uh, So we're going to have two readings, and the first is in Galatians um, Galatians 5. It's on page 1172 of your church Bibles. Galatians 5. Starting at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And then we're also going to read Psalm 15. And that's on page 549 in the Church Bibles. Psalm 15. Page 549. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose way of life is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to, his, to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Let me pray for our pastor as he comes up to preach to us. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you uh, that through it you speak to us and by your spirits you change our hearts. I pray for John as he preaches this morning. Equip him uh, by your spirit. Use him as your mouthpiece. And prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. That we may grow in goodness. Through faith in Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. And do keep your Bibles open at um, Psalm 15. Uh, We're in the middle of a series looking together at the fruit of the Spirit, and we've arrived at the word goodness. So we're thinking about goodness this morning. And we're going to be looking at this psalm together as we go, uh, go through. But it reminded me as I was preparing to think about goodness this morning, it reminded me of the fact that we've just had Halloween. I don't know what you think about Halloween But very often it's a bit of a kind of celebration of darkness, isn't it? 
And for that reason, actually, very often, Christians would much more emphasize not All Hallows' Eve, but All Saints' Day. And so often churches will run, instead of Halloween parties, will run light parties. Parties that are really to try and celebrate and stand for light instead of darkness. But as I was thinking about that, I just kind of thought, is it ever that black and white? Actually, when you think about your own life, is it ever that black and white? As you think about the, as you think about the world, is it ever that black or white? We don't celebrate Halloween in our house, but the kids always like to make a pumpkin lantern. That's what they kind of love to do. Um, but whenever they make the pumpkin lantern, I always say, can we please have a smiley face on the pumpkin, not a scary face on the pumpkin? And in a sense, though, that's probably me just one in the best of both worlds, trying to put a nice face <laughs> on something um, that's not so good. But the world, you know, we often divide into goodies and baddies, don't we? They're goodies, they're baddies. But it is so much more complicated than that. We glimpse all kinds of goodness in the world. But actually, that goodness is so often marred in one way or another. We glimpse terrible evil in the world. But even in the midst of great evil, Sometimes we can see signs of goodness. The lines feel like they're so blurred. And I wonder whether as we think about ourselves, are we defined by light? Are we defined by darkness? Or actually, is it just very gray? You may have had one of those DIY projects. I occasionally have a DIY project, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. Sometimes it does work. But even when it works, I tend to say, don't look too closely. And I wonder if we're tempted to say the same about our lives might look quite impressive from the outside. We might even have others say to us, oh, wow, that's amazing. But actually, we want to respond, please don't, don't look too closely. <laughs> don't look too closely at my life. There may be lots to celebrate. There may be lots that is good. We would genuinely say it's good things. But actually, if we're honest with ourselves, there's an awful lot of gray. And actually what that really illustrates for us is a human problem that we all grapple with. We have an amazing capacity for good. In fact, the Bible says that when God made us as human beings, he looked at us and said we were very good. Not just good, but very good. And yet, though we have an amazing capacity for good, it is always tainted. And there is also a sense in which we have an incredible capacity for extreme evil. I mean, on a Remembrance Sunday, it's hard to avoid that fact, isn't it? That as humans, we have a great capacity for good. And yet, an extraordinary capacity for evil. And light is beautiful, isn't it? Light is beautiful. But if we're honest, are there not times when we are also very attracted to darkness? We want to be good. But what comes out very often is just gray sludge. And gray sludge is not great, is it? <laughs> Nobody wants gray sludge. So the question for us this morning, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, and as we think about what it means 
for us to display goodness, genuine goodness in our lives, the question is, where does goodness come from? Where does true goodness come from? How can we be good? Maybe you've genuinely grappled with that question in your life. I'm sure we all have it from one time or another. How can I be better than I am? Maybe we've tried all kinds of techniques. There are lots of books and and resources out there to try and help us to be better than we are. Maybe we're sick of the gray sludge in our lives. Gray sludge is exhausting. It's hurtful. It lets others down. It's incredibly destructive. So where does goodness come from? Well, if we've been following this series carefully, we'll know that it doesn't come from us. And what we're going to see this morning is that it's a good spirit. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the good spirit who grows good people and brings light to a dark world. And if we could just kind of illustrate the big thing this morning, then I'd like you to take a look at this picture. And you might recognize this picture if you've ever looked at a map, but it's basically the kind of top right-hand corner of Africa. And you'll see that kind of, um, I wonder if I can, oh yeah, yeah. So, that, so, so this is basically Egypt. That's what, that's what it is. And you can see that there is the Sahara Desert. It's a parched land, a very arid environment. And yet there's also this incredible green line that sort of cuts through and spills out into this enormous, lush, green sort of patch growth in the middle of this desert. Well, that is the Nile River. And the Nile River basically, pushing ahead. The Nile River basically runs all the way through this, um, through this incredibly arid environment, bringing life and goodness and greenness to that parched land. And I want us to think about our lives and this world in the same way. We are parched people and we live in a parched world. But God, God is like the Nile River. And flowing from him, there is life and there is goodness. And as he breaks into our desert lives and our spiritual desertness, he begins to grow and change us and bring goodness where there is none there. And I want us to see this morning that that is an incredibly hopeful thing. Because if you're anything like me, actually it can be it can be soul-destroying. I mean, it can be incredibly negative to think, well, where does goodness come from? If I can't find it, if it's not in me, if it's not in this world, where does it come from? But there is hope, friends. There is hope for each of us this morning because there is a source of pure goodness that is outside of us and is outside of this world. And it comes from God. And he grows it by his Holy Spirit. I think that's actually the opposite of what we often think the church is. So we often think that the Christian faith is be good. Be good. Maybe you thought this morning you would come and basically every sermon is a variation on the theme of be good, do better, try harder. But actually the Bible is incredibly realistic. It says be good is not possible. In fact, it's not the gospel. 
The gospel is not be good. It is really all about God's goodness to us. We have been saved by grace. It is a gift of God, not on the basis of our goodness. We sometimes say that the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's very easy, isn't it, to to read it as advice. What do I need to do? I must do this, I must do that. Try this this week. But it's good news. It's good news of what God has done for us in Jesus because we could not do it ourselves. But that's not to say that goodness does not matter. It really does matter. If God is good, he cares about us being good. We're not saved by good works, we might say, but we are saved for good works. And the good spirit grows good people and brings light to a dark world. So what is goodness? What is it? Good question. Well, we're not talking about being good at something. So sometimes we think about goodness in terms of competency. So you might look at a sports player and say, they are good. Well, that's not what we mean by goodness. It's not what the Bible says. In fact, what the Bible says is that character is far more important than competency. God cares far more about who we are than what we do. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit are really all reinforcing that idea. They're helping us to see that God cares about who we're becoming as people, not about, well, he cares first about who we're becoming as people before he then cares about what we do as people. So in our series on the Holy Spirit, we were thinking, we're thinking first about fruit and then later about gifts. Because actually the Bible seems to really place fruit as of primary importance over and above gifts. Because gifts actually are to be only used in love, which is a fruit. When we think about goodness, we're also not thinking about what it means to be a goody two-shoes. Maybe you don't know the expression, a goody two-shoes. But a goody two-shoes is someone who always likes to, to show that they are good and show that they are right. It's a kind of form of self-righteousness. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you are someone like that <laughs> who likes to kind of show off their virtue. It's quite sickening, isn't it, when you see it? Sometimes you kind of think, oh, you're annoying. You're just annoying. Such a goody two-shoes. I'm kind of reminded of the fact that we are, we're about to enter another election, general election cycle. Politicians kind of, you know, as a, as a, as a generalization, this isn't true of them all, but they like to display their virtue, don't they? It's called virtue signaling. They like to show that they're on the right side of various things. And they do these kind of tricks that are basically a way to kind of show that they're good. But really, they're just sound bites. They're just an act for a particular purpose and often to undermine another party or another political uh, opposition of some kind. But that notion of being a goody two-shoes is also leveled at Christians. Maybe you've had that. You think you're better than others. You think you're good. But that's not what the Bible means when it's talking about goodness. And to see what goodness really is, we're going to look at a few verses from Psalm 15. I think we see three particular qualities here in relation to goodness in Psalm 15 that really help us to get a bit of a handle on what 
Bible means by goodness. So the first is this. Goodness is about purity. Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from their heart. Goodness is, in the Bible, a key attribute of God. There's one thing, really, we're to know about God, is that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But that leaves the psalmist with a dilemma, doesn't it? Because he says, well, who can approach him then? Who could possibly come into the presence of God if he's like this? Only good people, only blameless people, we're told, can approach a good God. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God says to Moses, I'm going to reveal my goodness to you. He says, I'm going to actually allow my goodness, Moses, to pass before you. But then he's, and Moses is sort of getting excited at this point. Oh, fantastic. I get to really experience the goodness of God. And then he says, well, actually... The only way this is possible is if I hide you in a tiny little sort of crook, in the little cleft in the rock, and you're not really going to see me or my goodness, but you'll see a tiny little glimpse of the afterglow of me passing by in front of you. Because actually, you cannot, you cannot experience my goodness. And so that's what happens. God passes before Moses. He's hidden in the rock. He glimpses a tiny little sniff of the afterglow of the glory and the goodness of God. And he comes down the mountain and he is completely transformed. So much so that his face is shining with the goodness of God. He didn't even really experience it. But his face is shining so much that they have to put a veil over his face because if normal people looked at the face of Moses, they would be so overwhelmed by his goodness. That is the kind of purity, that is the kind of goodness that exists in God. And so it's completely understandable that the psalmist says, who on earth can enter God's presence? Give me a man that could do this. Give me a person who qualifies. Some of us here, I know, are gardeners. I am not a great gardener. But I sort of have this vision that one day they will invent the weed-free garden. Are you with me on this? I'm sure, I'm sure there's a gap in the market for the weed-free garden, isn't there? And there's a sense in which we have this idealized version of what we think a garden should be like. Maybe it's kind of, you know, sometimes on those design programs, they'll design a garden and it's all on paper. You know, and, and they never put the weeds on, do they, on those, on those designs. The weeds are never on there. There's this beautiful tree here. There's going to be a beautiful lawn here and a pond here. But there's never the weeds. But the reality is that however hard we work, however hard we try and graft to achieve the weed-free garden, we can get pretty close, or at least I can't, but some people can. 
but the work is never done, is it? The weed-free garden is a myth. And the weed-free life is also a myth. And just to kind of help us to see that, that our sort of inability, really, to be pure in the way that God demands, it's really striking how often we, we play off the fruit of the Spirit against one another. So we might look at one area of our lives and we'll say, oh, we are good. But even as we're doing it, we're probably actually <laughs> failing to show goodness in other areas. So, for example, you might say, I am, I'm, a, I'm a faithful person. I am always truthful. You know me. I just love to speak my mind. And what we mean by that is, actually, I just love to just say whatever's up there, and I don't really care what the consequences are. We might be truthful, but it's truth without love, without gentleness, <laughs> without kindness. And we think, I am good. When actually, we're probably wreaking all kinds of havoc in the process. We might say, John, I am a, I'm Mr. No Compromise. That is who I am. Mr. No Compromise. But what we mean by that is, I've got absolutely no patience at all for anyone who thinks differently to me. But actually, goodness... <laughs> Goodness is the whole bouquet of flowers. It's the whole bouquet of virtues. It's purity in every area. It is a weed-free life. So where do we see this goodness? Well, Peter, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 10, says of Jesus, that he was a man who went around doing good. Jesus knew how to be good in every situation. Jesus exercised purity and goodness whatever, came across, whatever crossed his path. He is a good man. Here's the second quality of goodness I want us to see. Goodness is about consistency. Psalm 15, again, the end of verse 2 says, uh, of this one who can approach God, is that they speak the truth from the heart. They're their tongue utters no slander. They do no wrong to a neighbor and cast no slur on others. It's striking, isn't it, that he says basically that what comes out of their mouths, the truth that comes out of their mouths, is actually the truth that is there in their hearts. He's saying basically these are, this is a person who is the same on the inside as they are on the outside. When I was a kid, we, there was something called WYSIWYG. WYSIWYG was like to do with computers. And if you had a, a word processor, word processors were becoming more and more popular. We had an Amiga 500K. You can imagine that. Very powerful machine in those days. But the thing that they used to say about uh, word processors, the best word processors were WYSIWYG. Does anybody know what WYSIWYG meant? Phil knows. That's amazing. I thought it would be for your time, Phil, but it obviously still exists. It means what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. I don't think it's so common nowadays because... We kind of assume what we see is what we get. But in those days, it was no guarantee that what you saw on the screen 
was what would come out of the printer. <laughs> and so a word processor that was WYSIWYG was a word processor that basically what you saw on the screen, you could be confident was what came out of the printer. See, you don't know how lucky you are, kids, today. <laughs> but it was no guarantee. And there's something of that in the consistency of goodness, that what you see is what you get, that what comes out of us is what's inside of us, that we're the same on the inside and the outside. What we do is who we are, we might say. Because the reality is we are incredibly inconsistent. And again, we love to display our goodness in all kinds of ways. We've got, we would bend over backwards. We go out of our way to help Jeff move house. I can't possibly help you. I'm helping Jeff move house. And yet we struggle to do the washing up or empty the dishwasher or whatever at home. We... we we bend over backwards to help Mrs. Miggins down the road do her gardening and weed and make everything right. It's wonderful to serve her. And yet behind closed doors, we're a completely different person. And often our problem is that our outsides are bigger than our insides. We project a version of ourselves that is so impressive to the world around us. And yet the inside is actually very small indeed. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of being oversold and under-delivered. We had that with our very first car. I think I might have mentioned this once before, so forgive me if you've heard this. But our very first car was a beautiful Peugeot 306 R-Reg. I thought it was a beautiful machine anyway. We paid a lot of money for it. And uh, within about a week of having it, my wife would drove the car off uh, her parents' driveway. She was probably doing a maximum five miles an hour. And the car went bang. She opened up the bonnet, phoned me. John, it looks like there's a hole in the engine. And I was like, oh, yeah. There's not a, that's not a thing, a hole in the engine. I've never heard of that before. She phoned the AA man. He opened up the bonnet. Well, love, looks like there's a hole in your engine. That can't be a thing, can it? I've never heard of a hole in the engine before. So we phoned the guy who sold us the car. He said, I'll send my engineer over to take a look at it. He opened up the bonnet. And he said, there's a hole in your engine. It was a classic old banger, dressed up as a good little runner with one careful owner. And I wonder how often we live our lives in exactly that way, as old bangers, dressed up as good little runners. But imagine just for a moment a world in which the opposite was true, in which our insides were bigger than our outsides. Imagine that world for a moment, where the closer we got to one another, the more obvious our virtue was, our goodness was. Imagine a world in which everything is undersold and over-delivered. It would be an entirely different place to be, wouldn't it? And that's the consistency of goodness. Psalm 15 goes on, verse 4. They keep an oath even when it hurts. Again, think of the consistency there. 
Here is someone who is continuing to be willing to do good, even when it is costly for them, even when it hurts them. I mean, it goes to show, doesn't it, that doing good doesn't necessarily might make life easy. And again, we just need to look at the example of Jesus who stepped in the, into the world to do the greatest good of all. Going to a cross for our salvation in obedience to the Father, perfectly empowered by the Spirit. He did the good for us that we could never do for ourselves. But on the way, he was tempted by Satan. He was opposed by Peter. His mum thought he was mad. All of his friends deserted him. And he sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet he resolutely fixed his eyes on the goodness he was to do. Consistency. Finally, goodness is about generosity. Maybe this is a little bit less obvious, but it's striking in verse 5, one of the characteristics of this good person, this person who can really come into the presence of God, is that they lend money to the, to the poor without interest. There's a sense in which they go beyond simply fairness. They're happy to sort of break the rules if it means doing good to others. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew's gospel of a landowner. It's in chapter 20. And this landowner basically wants to hire a load of people to work in his vineyard. And he agrees with them to pay them one denarius for their day's work which is basically a day's labor, a day's wage. So one denarius would be a day's wage. So he sort of hires these workers and says, I'm going to pay you a day's wage for working in the vineyard. That's fair, isn't it? But then at 12 o'clock, he goes back out and he hires a whole load of other workers to join them in the vineyard. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes out. And he hires a load more workers to work in the vineyard. And then at five o'clock, one hour before they all clock off, he goes out and hires more people to work in the vineyard. And then it's time for them to be paid. And they all line up waiting to be paid by the vineyard owner. And the first person is someone who'd worked from five o'clock to six o'clock, one hour's work. And he says, here you go, here's your denarius. He says, okay, wow, a day's pay for an hour's work. And so the guy who's been working from 9 a.m. says, oh, okay, let's work this out. He got one denarius for one hour. What am I going to get? Oh, I'm not going to have to work again for a month. This is brilliant. But what happens is each one of them gets one denarius, a day's wage. And the parable is there to show us of the goodness and the generosity of God. That actually, regardless of our heritage, regardless of our background, regardless of how long we have lived for the Master... God in his kindness gives us the same. Grace. Actually, the guys who were hired at 9 a.m. were hired out of the kindness of the master, just in the same way that the guys that were hired at 5 p.m. were hired out of the kindness of the master. But this is how the, the parable finishes. So 
they're all completely, well, the, the, those who've been working since 9 a.m. are disgusted with what's happened. And this is what the, the, the master says, verse 13. He answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you. Friend, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And the word generous there is the word agathos. It's the word good. He says, are you envious because I am good? Because I've displayed generosity in this way. So there is a quality to goodness that goes beyond simply fairness. It errs on the side of generosity. It's not constantly comparing what we've been given by God to what others have been given by God. Goodness, in a sense, goes beyond the rules. And Matthew 20 is a picture of God's generosity to us. You see, the gospel says that God has showed his goodness to us in Jesus. In a sense, we might have to step back and say, well, what is fair? What would be fair? Well, if we are recognizing that we are not people who in our own condition have the right to enter the presence of God, that we fall short of the goodness of God, that we are not weed-free people, then actually what is fair is judgment for compromised people. That's what fairness looks like, according to the gospel. But God, in his goodness, generously sent Jesus into the world as a means of a generous rescue for anyone, anyone, whoever they are, whatever stage of life, whatever background, for anyone who believes. The cross is the punishment that we deserve so that we might receive God's forgiveness. So that we can be those blameless people who enter the presence of God. Not on the basis of our own goodness, but on the basis of his goodness to us. It's good news, not good advice. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is the generosity of God. That is the generosity of Jesus. And And the closer we get to Jesus, the bigger he becomes. Here is someone who will not oversell and underdeliver. Here is someone whose inside is supremely bigger than their outside. Actually, from the outside, he looked very ordinary. But he is the pure and consistent and generously good. Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more the Spirit will produce this kind of goodness in our lives. So where does goodness come from, we need to ask? Well, Jesus says this in Luke 6. It's there on the screen, just so we can see it. I'll read it out for us as well. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. 
People do not pick figs from a thorn bush or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Simply the point is this. What we do on the outside shows what, or actually more precisely, who is on the inside. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more the Spirit will be filling us and producing this goodness in us. Now, you might say, that's, should we ever call ourselves good? You know, is that, it seems so strange. It seems so antithetical, countercultural to sort of strive to be good. Because we're so used to in our minds, possibly as Christians at least, saying, no, we're not good. But as we finish, I just wanted to introduce you to a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is an amazing character in the New Testament. We don't really think about him very often, but he crops up a number of times in the book of Acts. And at one moment, early on in the life of the church, a church is planted in a place called Antioch. And it's the first time that there are Jewish Christians and also non-Jewish Christians together in a church. So there are people who, uh, the Bible calls them Greeks, but they're basically non-Jewish people without any background in the Jewish faith whatsoever, who basically just hear the gospel and come and place their faith in Jesus, join the church, and are accepted as part of the family. So it's an incredible moment in the life of the church. And naturally... (laughs) The early church is thinking, is this legit? Is this all right? Is this okay? And so the Jewish church decides, they get news of this, and they decide they're going to send someone to check out the church in Antioch. Is it the real deal? Is this really what God is doing? And this is what it says at the end of Acts 11, verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So who do they send? Barnabas. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I think that's a really remarkable description of a person, isn't it? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Here's a very, potentially a very volatile situation, quite a stressful situation. What's going to happen as these Gentiles are welcomed into the church? But Barnabas' instinct is to encourage, not to criticize, not to tell them they've got to do it all the same way that they've been doing it in Jerusalem, but to encourage them and to point them to Jesus. And the explanation is, oh, yeah, well, I need to tell you what kind of a man he was. (laughs) He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And as a result of this church, we're told a great number of people are brought to the Lord. That goodness has an incredible impact on the world. So as we think about ourselves, you know, as we preach through the fruit of the Spirit, there are so many wonderful signs in us as a body together of the way that the Spirit is working. I'd love to tell you so many stories of the goodness that I can see so often. I probably only see a tiny little fraction of what's going on, the kindness and the goodness and the love that people show to each other in this church. But just imagine for a moment, Crossway is a church like Antioch that shone with the light and the goodness of Jesus in the midst of a dark world. And as we think about that, we, we need 
to think about ourselves, don't we? I wonder if this could be said of you and I. He was a good man. She was a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas is not set up as some sort of unique individual. He's actually set up as a very ordinary member of the church in Jerusalem. So what does it mean for us? What about our purity? Where do you need to do some weeding? Ask the Spirit to help you. Ask the chief gardener to come and make his home in your life. What about your consistency? Where are you still playing a game, playing a part? Where's the mask on? Ask the Spirit. And he'll take the mask off. He'll make you more consistent. What about generosity? Where do you need to become a giver in your life? Where do you need to recognize the blessing God's given you? And as a steward, use it for his glory. Ask the Spirit to help you. Ask the Spirit to show you more deeply the generosity of God to you. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, just simply in this moment, we ask that you might send your spirit fresh to fill us again, to continue to fill us, that we might be good people, not on the basis of our own effort or our own work, but as we keep in step with the spirit's work in us. Show us what that means, show us what that needs to look like, and take us back to the goodness of Jesus displayed on the cross. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.